0: Good morning. Yes, I am crawling through this section, but I am very thankful for it. I I pray that you are being encouraged also as we walk down through this letter. This amazing letter. So, does the word of God encourage you when you're struggling in a trial? Does the Word of God encourage you when you're struggling in a trial? Do the Scriptures encourage you or burden you? Today, we see Paul uses this letter to encourage Timothy in his struggle in ministry. Keep going. Stand firm. Don't give up. Pursue Christ. Honor Christ. Keep going. Paul is in prison facing death. He's suffered incalculable rejection, persecution, and pain. He's pretty much alone in Rome with a crazy man for an emperor looking for a scapegoat for his own insanity. Yet Paul has more important things on his mind than his own death. He wants to hand the baton to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy. He wants to encourage Timothy to follow his example, to carry the mantle of the gospel, to stand firm and even suffer with him for Christ's sake. So Paul gives Timothy all the encouragement he needs to step up and exalt Christ with his life. Last week we slowed down to get the theological implications of Paul's gospel presentation... In verses 9 and 10, it was also an evangelistic call to consider whether this letter applies directly to us or not. Again, it's important for us to note that Paul is speaking to a believer, Timothy, someone who is already saved. So it's important to know that when we take the Bible and we start reading through it, does it apply to us or not? If we're not believers, if we have not been born again, then we need to be careful that this might not apply to us directly. We might need to repent and believe for the first time. Then it would apply to us. But in this case, Paul is speaking to Timothy, a believer, a solid believer, a saved believer, one who got effectually called through the gospel message and who has life in Christ. So it's important to know that we are saved before these truths can be applied to our lives directly. So, why does Paul rehearse the gospel with the saved Timothy? That's the same question we ask in Romans 1. Why does Paul long to preach the gospel to Christians in Rome? The answer is, the gospel is for the believer as well as the unbeliever. We need the gospel today. We need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. It is the gospel that motivates us to do what we're supposed to do. Real simple, it is faith in the truth of the gospel and the power available in the gospel that motivates believers to obey the gospel and to obey the Word of God. The good news of Jesus and His saving grace in our life is our daily motivation to obey Christ. As Paul states in Romans 1:5, Through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His namesake. What does that mean? That means this, Paul's preaching the gospel, and he preaches the gospel to Gentiles, and the Gentiles hear the gospel, they believe, they have faith, and what's it produce? Obedience. Obedience comes as we meditate on who Christ is and what he's done for us. Faith produces obedience. I mentioned that this section has three primary imperatives, from verse 6 all the way down to to, uh, verse 14 we saw we must use God's given gift, our God-given gifts. Every one of us who are believers have gifts, and we're supposed to use them. In verses 6 and 7, we must unashamedly sacrifice for the gospel. In verses 8 to 12. And then, this week, we'll focus a little bit more on we must hold firm to the truth. That's found in verse 13 and 14. These commands are clearly revealed... ...in the correlating passages. We talked about it. That we must use our God-given gift is seen in, for this reason I remind you... ...to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Kindle afresh means use your gift. That's what he means. Second, we must unashamedly sacrifice for the gospel. As found in verses 8 to 12. Notice, therefore do not be ashamed... of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. And then finally, we must hold firm to the truth. Look at verses 13 and 14 in your Bible. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Put simple, this is that third main command. Paul is exhorting Timothy to follow Paul's own example of proclaiming and guarding the truth. That's what he's calling them to do. There's no way of sugarcoating these commands, are they? I mean, they're pretty clear. They are directly found in Scripture and they apply to all believers. All of us who have trusted in Christ, they apply to us. We should use our God-given gifts. Everybody agrees, right? That applies to us. We should be unashamed and suffer for Christ. That's what the Bible says. And third, we should stand firm for the truth. This is a high bar, isn't it, beloved? This is what we're called to. We must use our gift, be unashamed for the gospel and suffer for Christ and stand firm for the truth. Paul's telling Timothy how he should live in light of the gospel. Now, like most of the commands in the Bible, they are hard, aren't they? (laughs) We could argue that these are impossible commands to do, aren't they? So what goes through your mind when you hear commands like this? When you're reading through the Bible and you see these commands, and you're going through your own Bible reading, and you probably, how many of you saw a command in your Bible reading this week? Okay, Raise those hands higher. I want to see. You read your Bible. Praise the Lord. If you didn't read your Bible, you didn't see any commands. Because they're everywhere, aren't they? Commands are all through the Bible. So what goes through your mind? Think about this. Timothy is being called to stand firm even though his mentor is about to die. Timothy is being exhorted to step up and suffer with his... Mentor Paul. Timothy is being exhorted to stand firm without turning to the left or the right, even though many are turning to the left and the right and many are rejecting, even in Asia where he was at in Ephesus. So these kind of commands in Scripture can have different impacts on our hearts. First, there's this, guilt. Guilt. Anybody struggle with guilt when you read your Bible? Be honest. Let's see it. Raise your hand if you feel guilt when you read your Bible. Oh, okay. Maybe we can think things like this. Well, I'm not very good at this. I'm pretty whippy when it comes to suffering or pain. Anybody else think that way? We can think, I'm way too often cowering under pressure and fear of man. We can think, well... That's easy for the Apostle Paul to say that. But he's the Apostle Paul. He saw a glimpse of heaven. He's able to do miracles. But I'm just a failure when it comes to pressure. I'm a weak, struggling person. You don't have to raise your hand, but does that characterize you? You find yourself, when you hear those commands saying... I can't do this. I fail at this all the time. Getting discouraged. But we will see this is not what commands and scriptures in the scriptures are supposed to produce. It's not supposed to produce in us this self defeated that I'm always walking around mourning and oh me, oh my, this is horrible. I'm a failure. That's not what the Scripture commands are given for. We'll talk about this as we go along. Second, there can be a self-confidence. We can read the Scriptures and we can see a command and say, Yep, I got this. (laughs) Bring on the enemies of God. I can take them. We can have an overconfidence in ourselves. We can read this and you know, you find this. I know some of us have fallen into this when you're reading through the Old Testament going, man, these Israelites were really foolish. I would never do that. Right? There's a little bit of an overconfidence and pride that comes sometimes when we're reading these passages. And we think, well, I don't do that. So I'm fine. Third, And what Scripture's commands are really supposed to produce is repentant faith that produces obedience. Repentant faith that produces obedience. Friends, none of us can obey these commands in our own strength or willpower. None of us. How many of you obey the Ten Commandments all the time? Please don't raise your hand. We can go back through that if we need to. We have all failed at various times in our Christian walk to follow through and stand firm, right? He's talking to Timothy that might be known as the Timid Timothy. And he's exhorting them to do things. Imploring him, exhorting him. But hearing commands shouldn't lead to self-loathing either or self-pity or just calling yourself, oh, well, I'm just such a failure. It should lead to repentance. It should cause us to reflect on the glorious gospel again. It should remind us, oh, I need Jesus. Oh, and Jesus is my all-sufficient one. He is who he is. And He's done what He's done for me. And Jesus is doing great things in me now. That's repentance. We turn back to Him. Look, I don't want you guys to walk out of these messages where we're talking about imperatives and think, well, I'm just a failure. I want you to turn to Christ and find your joy in Him. And then what? Obey by faith. As you trust in Him. When I failed to stand for Christ, to resist the evil one, to love like Him, the problem was me, correct? I was not abiding in Christ. I wasn't enjoying Christ. I, the, but the Father doesn't want me to feel sorry for myself. He wants me to turn back to Him and seek forgiveness and trust Him to produce obedience in me next time. So when you hear a command, where is victory found in these impossible commands that he's given? Where is victory found? Answer. God. God. Not you. Not you. God. It's in the gospel. It's in who he is and what he's doing. For the believer, we trust in Him to work. Why is this important? This is important because we must read the Bible in light of what God really wants, which is us to turn to Him and enjoy Him. Notice how we worded this in each of these commands. First, we must use our God-given gifts. Yes, yes. By the work of God in us. It's by God's work in us. And we see it in the passage. Paul does this. He says, do this. Here's the commands. But then he tells you how you're able to do it. He gives the power or the source of the power that actually empowers us to do it. He says it, look, the gift of who? God. God. Use the gift that comes from who? God. This isn't a gift that arrived in my heart because I'm something special. It came from God. And that gift that he gives us is something that he knows and gave to us so that we could use it. Second, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He gives us the power and the love and the wise discipline in order to use the gifts. So when God gives a command, he also gives the power, love, and wise discipline to use the gift. Isn't that good news? We're not going to walk out of here saying, oh, I'm just a failure. No, we're going to walk out of here going, yeah, I can't do it, but he can. And by his power, I'm going to trust him. We don't believe in Jesus to save us at the beginning of our walk with God and then give up on Jesus. We continue to trust Him to continue to work in us, to obey the commands of Scripture. This is good news. Notice second, we must unashamedly sacrifice for the gospel by the work of God in us. It says it, the key little phrase is at the end of verse 8. Look at it. It says, according to the power of God. How am I going to do this? How am I going to sacrifice? How am I going to suffer for Christ? How am I going to take it when somebody persecutes me or mistreats me for the name of Christ? How am I going to do it? Answer, by the work of God in us. According to the power of God that's at work in us. The power to obey comes from God. Anything good that I do is Him. Anything bad I do is me. And so I trust in him to work in me. Not I trust in me to do good works. Doesn't work. Can't do it. The power of God is then developed. Paul develops it. And the power is displayed in the gospel. What is God's greatest display of His power ever? Simple, simple, simple answer: the gospel. What He did in Christ isn't a powerful display, isn't it? The incarnation makes us go, "Wow, God!" The perfect righteous life of the Savior makes us go, "Wow, God! Your power is amazing." The death on the cross and the atonement for our sin and the taking all of our sin and all the punishment we deserve that Christ took and bear, bore up under and said, It is finished when it is done. That was an amazing, powerful display of God, wasn't it? And then when he was placed in the grave and rose from the dead, he displayed great power over death. He's alive. That's Paul's whole point. As he reflects down through the gospel, he's saying, look, God's power has been on display in your salvation. And guess what? It's still on display in your sanctification. So obey these commands. That's what he's getting at. Oh, this is good news. I hope you're encouraged, church. Don't walk out of here thinking, okay, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to do this. I can do it. Bring on the persecution. Bring on the suffering. I can muster this. Whatever happens, come on. No. I can't do it by myself. But God, you will provide the grace. I'm going to trust in you. And I am confident that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I trust you, God, to produce your power in me. That's his point. And that's his point in all commands in Scripture. When he's talking to believers, he's saying what? Trust me, I will give you the strength, the power, the love, the wise discernment to do it. According to my power that works within me. When we're trusting in Christ, suffering is actually a privilege, not a burden. We can worship God even when we're being beaten like the Apostle Paul and Silas did in Acts 16 when they were... What happened after they were beaten? They were in the cell. They were in jail. And they praised and worshipped God. How does that happen? It was the power of God on display in those men. It was the power of the gospel at work in them. Or worshiping God and thank Him. To be considered worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake, as John and Peter did. How many of you can say, oh, I'm thankful for this suffering. I'm thankful for this suffering. Well, in your own strength, you're never going to say that. Are you? Nobody's going to, oh, I think I can do this. If you say that, you're, you're missing the whole point. But in the strength of God and as you abide in Christ and as you're trusting in Him, He produces the faith and the obedience and the power to honor Him in all circumstances, trusting Him that He will take care of us. And Paul fully gets it. Look at verse 12. At the end of the second command, the second section of commands, he explains it. And he says, look, this is a snapshot of what a heart looks like that gets it, that knows who God is. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What's he saying? This is a testimony of faith, isn't it? He's saying, Look, I can suffer and not be ashamed. Why? Because I know who I believed in. I know who I believe in Christ. And I know that He, that is God, is able to entrust my soul or to take care of my soul that I've entrusted to Him. He takes care of me. I can trust Him. Oh, beloved, I hope you see this point. This is so important. Obedience to God's impossible commands come from God. We just need to pursue Him by faith, and He will produce the obedience in us. Now, when we fail, we must turn back to Him. And how often do we do that? All the time. As long as we are in these bodies of death, we're constantly turning back, aren't we? We're constantly turning to Him and saying, Yep, here it is. I'm the sinner. <laughs> Please forgive me. I'm back. Help me. I know by Your grace I can. I'm going to trust You. He wants to empower us. He wants to guard our souls. He, if we embrace Him and entrust our souls to Him, then He then we, that is, are forever in his powerful hands. Why was Paul able to endure this extraordinary amount of suffering? Answer, God's power was perfected in Paul's weakness. Paul trusted the Lord. Trusted in the Lord to give him the grace in order to endure. Is Paul something more special than anybody in this room actually no he didn't he wasn't deity he wasn't he was just he was just a man just a human how did he do this answer he didn't god did God did a great work in him as he trusted in God. The same is what he's saying to Timothy. In other words, he can say to his son in the faith, Timothy, here's the baton. Go for it. You can do it. Why? Not by your strength, but by the power that God has displayed in me. He will display it in you. Go for it. According to the power of God that's working in you. That's what he's getting at. This is good news, isn't it? Anybody encouraged? I hope you're encouraged. Please get this point. So this same command goes to this last one. Look, verse 3, or verse 13, rather. Third command. We must hold firm to the truth by the word of God in us. Verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure of which has been entrusted to you. Mm. Mm. I love this. Isn't this wonderful? Do these commands make you go, Yes, this is great. This is great truth. If, if not, then maybe you're forgetting that the power is displayed in the verse, too. The ability to do it is given within the verse. Do commands burden you from Scripture? They only burden us if we're trusting in ourselves. Otherwise, they encourage us. Paul explains here to Timothy, this is his responsibility. Timothy is required to retain and guard the truth of the gospel message. Hold on To the standard of sound words. Maintain the content of the apostles' teaching. The gospel. The word of God given concerning Jesus Christ. Hold on to the word of God. Hold tight to it. Guard it. Stay firm in the word. Retain it. What word is this? It's the word that you have seen from me or heard from me. Paul refers to how the sound words were heard by Timothy. Timothy saw it in Paul. He saw Paul what? Preach the truth. He saw Paul write letters. He saw Paul argue for the gospel. To defend the gospel using what? The Old Testament scriptures. He saw all of this. He saw Paul do what with the word of God? Lift it up, hold tight, guard it, defend it from false teachers, defend it and show that it's from the Old Testament Scriptures. It all lines up. He says, hold on tight the things that you've heard from me. How you've seen me do it. Now, obviously, this responsibility is carried out in Christian faith and love. Notice it states that. It says... Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. As one commentator explains, Paul is saying very plainly, quote, Paul is saying very plainly that the attitudes and actions of faith and love found in Christ are essential to one who is to persevere in the the apostle's standard. In other words, look, let me just boil that down. What's that mean? We can have the word, we can know the word, we can know it very well, we can even speak it, but the attitude by which we proclaim it, and the attitude by which we hold on to it, the heart attitude must also match the glory of the message. Do you understand? We can be the greatest debaters in all of the planet, We can stand up and show from Old Testament Scripture that Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. Look at this passage. Look at that passage. Look at Isaiah. Look at... Right? We can say all that stuff. We can be the greatest debaters and greatest arguers in all the world. But if we don't have love and faith in those truths, we're not following the real standard. Heart matters. In fact... Heart is crucial. Anybody can preach the gospel. But only the believer who is empowered by God can do it in love and in faith. Do you hear me? We can recite truths. But if it doesn't come from trusting in God, the God that actually gave us this gospel, and loving the God that gave us this gospel, and loving the people that we are actually talking to, it's not really following the apostle's standard. Proclamation without faith and love that is found in Christ is not pleasing to the Father. Now, at this point, there's probably a little bit of conviction in the room. Anybody feeling it again? Came down. You just got hammered, didn't you? I just told you what the passage says. The passage says what? Proclaim it in faith and in love, believing it and with true, unconditional sacrificial love for the ones you're talking to. How many of you do that every time? Right? No. Remember what I said when we go to commands in the Bible. What do we do? Do we fall into self-pity? Or do we what? Turn to Him. Repent. We must proclaim it with faith. We must proclaim it trusting and the God that has delivered us and given us life. We must proclaim it in love, having true compassion and concern for those that we're talking to. We need Christ, don't we? What gives you compassion for your fellow believers? What gives you compassion when you're proclaiming the gospel to a lost person? What gives you compassion? I'll give you a hint. Paul's already talked about it. It's the gospel itself. See, when we think on the reality of who we really are apart from Christ, then we're humbled. And we say, oh, I see people differently. I see them differently now. I don't see myself as better than them. I see myself In them. I am them. I need Christ. They need Christ. That's where compassion is found. So, again, one may say, here comes the conviction again. I don't have that perfect attitude. I'm not compassionate. I think way too much of myself. But don't miss something, folks. It says it there in the passage, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. All believers, all born-again believers, we are in a new realm. Christ is our Lord. We are in a new sphere. Everyone who has trusted in Christ, everyone who has turned to Him, to the saved, we are now in Christ And Christ's fruit will show in our life. As we abide in him, he abides in us and we produce what? Fruit. John 15. We're in the new realm. Notice Paul develops this with guard the treasure that has been entrusted in you, to you rather. So it's interesting there's a play on words. What's Paul entrust? What did Paul entrust himself? He entrusted his soul to God, right? Here, it's God entrusting what? The gospel, the word to Paul. So we entrust our souls to God, and God's faithful to do what? Take care of us. And then he entrusts what? He entrusts the message of the gospel back to us, the word of God to us. And we have that. And you say, well, okay, I'm supposed to guard this treasure we're supposed to guard this treasure of the gospel. That's a high bar, isn't it? That's a big responsibility, isn't it? How important is it to get the gospel right? Very important. Sadly, I did a funeral this week, and it was it, funerals are very hard. Everybody knows that, right? You, that's the part where you need to double down and pray for your pastor. Pray hard. It'd be great. Fast for me, please. I need it. I need the Lord. I need God to work in me. And there are so many things that are going on, and you walk in that narrow road of sharing the gospel, being clear, but not being offensive and mean and harsh, having compassion, and yet proclaiming clearly the gospel. One thing kept hammering me say the truth. Say the truth. Say the truth in love. Say the truth in love. Guard the truth. These words, I'm preaching on this, and I've got to preach this. And I've got to do this. How do I do this? <laughs> Through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Paul, Paul tells him. Paul tells him. this is beautiful look guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us oh this is good news it's so good news You, you ask me when I come up here why I'm so excited about what I'm preaching why is it that no matter what I'm preaching on every Sunday it seems like wow this is great I can't wait to do it I'm here again I'm doing the crazy man thing again I'm talking about the glory of God and enjoying what I'm doing it's because all the way up I'm praying what? I believe in the Holy Spirit, as Spurgeon prayed. I believe in the power of God. Show us Christ. You prayed it, didn't you? You were singing it, weren't you? Were you singing it? Were you praying it? I was saying, Lord, show them Christ. Show them Christ. Use this wretched man to proclaim the glories of Christ. I got... Holy Spirit goosebumps all over my back right now he's dwelling in me what a glorious truth God almighty is in my soul and I get to proclaim Jesus to you this sinner look like a charismatic, don't I? (laughs) It's because the word of God is beautiful. The gospel is amazing and the spirit of God is empowering me. Not because I'm something special and not because I'm some intellectual smart dude because I'm not. But because the glory of the gospel is amazing. And yes, I studied and I got my library back this week and it was wonderful to read some new commentaries on these passages. It was wonderful. But it was the Spirit of God. Working even in those commentators to write the truth so I could understand it better, so I can proclaim it to you. Again, the command and the power to obey are revealed in this section. Dear people, I can't overemphasize this. We believe in the Holy Spirit here. We are all about the Holy Spirit here. Do you hear me? We know, we know that we're known as a church that doesn't hold to the sign gifts. Still being around. Oh, you're a cessationist. That means you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. No! We believe 100% in the Holy Spirit. He is the one that empowers us to do anything good. And first and foremost, it's not some sign to make you go, ooh. It's our obedience to the Scripture. Whoa, get that. There's many people that say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but their lives are a shambles. Their lives are a mess. If you believe in the Holy Spirit, shouldn't the Holy Spirit be producing what He's known for, which is what? Holiness. Whoa. Wow. And so how does Paul, how does Timothy accomplish these things? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I was talking to a brother this week about a sin we should all slay and not allow it to reign in our hearts and our minds. We talked about how this sin and all sins start in our heart. But that the solution was found in recognizing the presence of God in our lives. And we talked about how if, if Pastor Mike walked into the conversation, walked into the conversation and the, the conversation would change dramatically. Y'all know what this is like, right? You know what I mean by that, right? If I were at your workplace, would you talk the same way as if I were there? I hope so. But either way, if I walked into that room, what happens? You know what it's like, right? Do you know what my life's like at times? I walk up on people and I see them chatting. I walk up, hey, how are y'all? So, silence. What were y'all talking about? Why did it change? Now, You were laughing so hard. Something, you must have been talking about something. I want to hear, I want to laugh. Tell me, what was it? No, no, you don't want to hear about that. No, 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 thank you. Hmm. So what you're telling me is that a fear of Pastor Mike is enough to make people watch what they say. but a fear of the living God that lives within their soul is not enough. Oh, folks, stop! The Holy Spirit dwells within our souls. When the tabernacle, when the curtain was ripped, the new covenant happened... And the Holy Spirit dwells where? Within the souls of the believer. See, it's the Holy Spirit that drives us, motivates us, changes us, and produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self control, gentleness, faithfulness, perseverance. Paul exhorted the Corinthians this way that they are temples of the Holy Spirit. That was the motivation for slaying all the sins listed in 1 Corinthians 6. We can put to death sin, we can be courageous for the gospel, we can tame our wicked tongues, we can glorify God with our lives and our obedience. How? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's good news, isn't it? One of the persons of the Trinity is literally abiding in our souls 60 minutes of every hour, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for the rest of our life into eternity. Wow! We are the temple of... Of the Holy Spirit. This is great news. You say, Mike, I can't obey. I can't obey. I can't do it. Then you are denying the one who abides in you to produce the very thing that he's in you to produce. Wow. Paul closes this section with two illustrations of those who live in obedience. Actually, one of them is the negative. The negative example is Phygelus and Hermogenes in verse 15. And then there's the positive example of Onesiphorus. And notice the result is that when Paul saw it, the Spirit work through the power of God worked through Onesiphorus, and he literally breaks out in a praise and a prayer to God for that man. Look at these words in verse 15. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenus. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You see the negative and the positive examples of the very things we just talked about? There's Phygelus and Hermogenus, and what did they do? They turned away from the Apostle Paul, which meant that they turned away from the Apostle's teaching, which meant that they turned away from God. What had happened? Well, they had stopped believing. They were not believing. They were not trusting in God. They were not seeking Him. They were not abiding in Him. But Anesiphorus is different. Look what he does. He refreshed Paul. He was not ashamed of the chains. The very thing that he had told him, right? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me who is in chains. He wasn't ashamed. He was the example. What did he do? Well, he was doing what Paul just had talked about. He was guarding the truth. He was holding to the truth. He was sacrificially loving. He was suffering with Christ. He was doing whatever it took to honor God. How? By the power of God that was working in Onesiphorus. And then Paul prays that God would grant compassion on his household, on his whole household. His family, maybe. Some say that he's referencing here to the death of Onesiphorus. That Onesiphorus had died in the process of helping, and therefore he's he's praying that God will take care of his house. And that God would show himself gracious in the end, on the Lord's Day, when he is rewarded for his efforts. By the grace of God, again, according to the power of God that's working in him through the Holy Spirit that dwelled in him. You know what I'm saying, right? Now, if you read 15 to 18 and you didn't have the first verses, what would you think? We would throw a party for Onesiphorus, wouldn't we? We'd say, way to go! You're amazing! If I preach that section 15 to 18, you might be tempted to think... Man, this guy, Anesiphorus, he was was a different kind of man. He was different than me. He was far greater than me. He risked everything and was unashamed of chains and went in these conditions that are impossible. Let's praise Anesiphorus. And what would that be? Missing the whole point. Because who Succeeds. Those who God is working in. The ones that are trusting in Him. What, what distinguishes Saul from King David? What distinguishes Judas from Peter? What distinguishes these men from each other? Why is it that Saul was such a failure as a first king and yet David was a man after God's own heart and slew Goliath with his slingshot? While everybody was cowering, David says, Who mocks the armies of the living God? What distinguishes a Judas Who betrayed Jesus and then instead of repenting goes out and hangs himself in shame. Versus a Peter who denies him three times yet repents and stands up boldly in Acts 2 and says repent and believe in Jesus. What distinguishes these men It is the power of God. It is the power of God. The power of God works in the believer. The power of man always fails in the end. Don't go out of this place thinking, I can do it. Go out of this place saying, Jesus did it. Jesus is doing it. Jesus will do it in me by the Holy Spirit that lives and abides in me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We recognize, Lord, that we are still in these bodies of death and still prone to wonder, prone to stray, prone to lead the God we love, as the hymn writer says. We are weak and vulnerable and Constantly looking to ourselves as the ones that sustain us and make us be who we are. Oh God, forgive us for this self-focused pride. Help us, Lord, to see that the power of God abides in us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to abide in you. Help us to receive and enjoy And delight in the glories of Christ and of God, you, the gospel. May your power be on display in us. May we proclaim it with boldness and courage, unashamed of the gospel. Not fearing man, but remembering that we are indwelt by you. Oh, Holy Spirit, please forgive us for grieving you for the countless times we've forgotten you, for the numerous times we've thought of you as a far distant spirit that works in everybody but us, oh, God, help us to trust you. Show us your glory. Empower us with your strength. Give us your love. Help us to rejoice in you always. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.